And uh, we're going to study God's Word tonight. So, Father, we do pray that as we uh, go back to Ezekiel, as during the week, we thank you for this technology that we can keep doing online services. But I pray that you would just bless this time in the study of your Word. And, Lord, uh, as Ezekiel is speaking to a nation that had rebelled against you, there's some things for us to really... Um, Consider here, very important word given to us for us to stand in the gap in our culture and our nation that has uh, more and more over the last years and, and last few decades they are turning more against you. So bless our hearts, Lord, but also stir our hearts as well as uh, we read these chapters, chapters 21 and 22 of the book of Ezekiel, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So you can turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 21, and of course, if you've been with us in our study of Ezekiel, you have seen that uh, Ezekiel is indicting the nation because they have refused to turn back to the Lord. They had forsaken the Lord. And Ezekiel, his prophecies um, are very similar to Jeremiah, what Isaiah had said. But Ezekiel is interesting because he uses a lot of riddles and parables and illustrations to speak against the nation. He really is specific about um, the, uh, the things that were taking place. Uh, as we're going to see here, this indictment against the nation, this rebellious nation. And he's going to talk about the leaders, uh, that is the false prophets, the false priests, the leaders, civil leaders, how that affected the people and caused corruption among the people. He's going to give the characteristics of what was going on in the nation that was in rebellion against the Lord. So we're going to look at that very, very carefully. And in chapter 21, that's as far as we have gone, we read, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards Jerusalem, preach against the holy places, and prophesy against the land of Israel. When we read that, prophesy against the land of Israel, he's going to be speaking a word of judgment against them, as we know, and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath, sheath that is, and cut off both righteous and wicked from you, because I will cut off both righteous and wicked from you, Therefore, my sword shall go out of his sheath against all flesh from south to north. Verse 5, that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of his sheath and shall not return anymore. So the patience of God at this point had run out. Even when the captivity began, the Lord was using Jeremiah to speak to uh, the people that were left behind in uh, Jerusalem and in Judah uh, to repent and turn to the Lord, to the leaders. Remember, Ezekiel went off in the second deportation, and this is, he is speaking right before the destruction of Jerusalem. So Ezekiel really focuses in on what's going to happen to Jerusalem, the destruction that's going to come to the land by the hands of the Chaldeans. And God's patience had been uh, there for um, since Isaiah, uh, since even before Isaiah came on the scene, when the nation split in half the ten northern tribes against uh, the, called the House of Israel. They were involved in idol worship and in the House of Judah. So the prophets had come on the scene, and we have seen for the last 300, close to 400 years, that they refused to turn back to the Lord and give up their idols. And, and here we need to understand 
that the Lord's uh, judgment, he's long-suffering, he's patient with us, but we cannot uh, think that because the Lord is long-suffering and patient that he's not going to judge sin, uh, that he wasn't going to do what he had said. They had turned to where they thought they were safe. They thought that nothing's going to happen to them. And we need to make sure that we understand that even in our own lives, as the Lord chastens us, that we don't mistake the long-suffering of the Lord and the patience of the Lord to think that he doesn't see our sin or he approves of our sin or he doesn't care about our sin. And here, as the people had refused to repent and get right with the Lord, so the sword of judgment was being uh, used against them. And in chapter 18, because what is interesting here, as he says that I will cut off both righteous and wicked from you in verse 3, you recall that in chapter 18, that, that didn't God say that the righteous will live? Um, that was the indication. Therefore, turn and live is what he was saying when we were talking about that very important chapter about personal responsibility and accountability before God. But here is he says the righteous and the wicked are going to be cut off uh, from you. From, from the Lord. Uh, I think that perhaps the thought here is, there's a couple thoughts. Uh, those who saw themselves as righteous in their own eyes, they will be cut off, but also the consequences that would come to those who perhaps were righteous. It, it came to Jeremiah. He ended up going off into Egypt, uh, even though he'd been faithful to the Lord, and uh, it's perhaps that there in uh, Egypt that Jeremiah was uh, persecuted and put to death. Isaiah was believed to be sawn in half uh, by Manasseh, the wicked king. So the righteous are going to also experience, you know, the, the repercussions and the consequences of the Chaldeans coming into Jerusalem and coming in and destroying Jerusalem where there's much death and destruction and devastation. So that may be the thought as well. And verse 6, Sigh therefore, son of man, with a breaking heart and sigh with bitterness before their eyes. And it shall be when they say to you, Why are you sighing? That you shall answer because of the news. When it comes, every heart will melt. All hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint. And all knees uh, will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and shall be brought to pass, says the Lord God. So when Babylon attacks and comes in, every heart that didn't heed to the warning is going to melt. That, man, this is really what's happening. It's true what the prophets were saying. We didn't take heed in seeing the great destruction that's going to happen in judgment by the hands of the Chaldeans. But also we need to remember that it also displays the heart of God. Because it shows that God is brokenhearted over this judgment. You might recall that he said that I don't take pleasure in judging the wicked. So there's this sigh, and there's going to be this sigh. And it reminds me that as we look forward, and as we know prophetically, that there's going to be a time called the tribulation period, where Jesus said it will be a time that there will be tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again, that it may cause us to sigh. And I believe that the church, that we who are righteous in Jesus Christ, that will be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test, test those who dwell on the earth, will be taken out before that tribulation period. But it does cause us to sigh 
Because are we very near to the rapture of the church? I believe that the rapture could happen at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. Uh, we are rushing towards those end time scenarios that are spoken of in the book of Revelation in chapters 6 through 19. And, and we can get excited that the Lord can come for us. Uh, we are in very unique times. We see the signs, the birth pangs all around us, but it causes us to really... Be sober um, in, in the days that we're in. It really causes us um, to sigh in our hearts because of what may be coming very soon to those that are linked to us in our lives that the Lord does come. Uh, in um, you know, we always want to look at the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And again, we don't know the day or the hour of his return, but we do know that we are rapidly approaching that time of the latter days where those things are going to culminate in the tribulation period. And, and I think about that. It's very sobering to me um, to see what's going on in our own nation, to see how we're getting further away from the Lord. Ezekiel really has been speaking to my heart. And how Ezekiel's brokenhearted, how Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and it should cause us to weep. And, and there's an important word as we continue on and what our response to that should be. But let's continue on as in verse 8 we read that again the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, say, A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened to make a dreadful slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Should we then make mirth? It, it despises the scepter of my son as it does all wood. Verse 11, and he has given it to be polished that it may be handled. The sword is sharpened and it is polished to be given in the hands of the slayer. So God was preparing the Babylonians to be the instrument of judgment. Verse 12, cry and wail, son of man, for it will be against my people, against all the princes of Israel. Terrors, including the sword, will be against my people. Therefore, strike your thigh because it is a testing and what if the sword despises even a scepter? The scepter shall be no more. Probably speaking of uh, the, you know, Zedekiah would be the last king of Judah. And that, um, you know, kingship. And when they came back, there was no more kings. There were civil leaders. But it would kind of go underground, the royal line, uh, that Zedekiah being the last king. Because it starts the times of the Gentiles. So after, you know, the destruction of Jerusalem, after actually uh, Zedekiah is taken and killed, the royal line goes underlined. There's no more kings of Israel. And that would continue because the Babylonians would be uh, overrun by the Medes and Persians. That was the world-dominating kingdom. And then the Grecians and then the Romans during the time of Jesus. And then Jerusalem destroyed again in 70 AD and the Jews dispersed throughout all the nations. And it's really quite amazing as you read this, the scepter shall be no more. Just prophesying that and prophesying um, about the captivity. And the Bible speaks about two captivities, the Babylonian captivity, and then they would come back, but also that they would be held captive, taken to all the nations. Jesus speaks about it in all of it discourse, and then they would eventually be brought back, and Jerusalem will be trampled on foot until the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled. It's, it's so amazing, God's word being so accurate in speaking about uh, those things. But we do continue 
In verse 14, therefore, son of man, prophesy, strike your hands together. The third time, let the sword do double damage. It is the sword that slays, the sword that slays the great men, that enters the private chambers. I have set the point uh, of the sword against all their gates, that the heart may melt and many may stumble. Ah, it is made bright. It is grass for the slaughter. Swords at its ready, thrust right, set your blade, thrust left, whatever your edge is ordered. I will also beat my fist together, and I will cause my fury to rest. I, the Lord, have spoken. So in this, you know, illustration, hey, Ezekiel, make some noise. Slap your hands, you know, and, and together, and your thigh. Make uh, the people know that destruction is coming. Get their attention. Because the people weren't getting the message that the sword's going to be ready at every gate. They're going to come full surrounding Jerusalem and coming in. And that people are going to see the destruction and be a part of that destruction. And it really reminds me that that's what sin does. Sin destroys. It destroys our lives. So are we going to let sin destroy our lives? Or are we going to allow the Lord to restore our lives? And Jesus Christ is the one that came to save his people from their sins as we come to him. That's the message uh, during, you know, Holy Week and during uh, the Easter season that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again from the grave. And that's the very foundation of our faith, that we believe in a risen Savior who validated what he did on the cross by rising from the grave. He cried out, it is finished. I did the work. I paid the price. And if we don't come to the Lord and surrender to him and and to acknowledge that he is Lord and to become my personal Savior, that, that if the person who rejects the gospel message, that sin will destroy, that sin will be judged. But for you and for me who have come to Christ, And Jesus has imputed his righteousness to us. Not that we've done it in ourselves because our righteousness are as filthy rags. But as we come to him, he took the judgment for you and for me. He will chasten us if we get off course, if we continue down a road of disobedience or sin or carnality. He'll correct us, but he took the judgment for you and for me as he saved us. So we have a choice to make. And the people here had a choice. Remember that it was Jeremiah. Tell the people that know the way of to live or the way to die. And they chose the way of rebellion and death. And anyone who chooses to rebel against Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, that we know that their sin will be judged at the great white throne judgment. So it's very sobering as we read this and In verse 18, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, And son of man, appoint for yourself two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to go. Both of them shall go to the same land, make a sign, put it in the head of the road to the city. Appoint a road for the sword to go to Rabbah of the Ammonites and Judah and to fortified Jerusalem. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the roads, at the fork of the two roads, to use divination. He shakes the arrows. He consults the images. He looks at the, the um, liver. So here, the Babylonians were shooting arrows to decide who they would attack first. They were using divination to contact their false gods for guidance and and the very gods that they had believed in Judah and turned to and were worshiping uh, are you know the gods that the Babylonians are using false gods and so you're going to be overtaken 
by Babylon. You're going to see that those gods are false, that I'm the one that's the only true God. And in verse 22, in the right hand is divination for Jerusalem to set up battering rams, to call for slaughter, to lift the voice with shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, to heap up a siege mound and to build a wall. And that's what they did. They came in and they, they surrounded the city. They, they uh, set up uh, mounds to attack the city and break through the walls and through uh, the city of Jerusalem. In verse 23, and it will be to them like a false divination in the eyes of those who have sworn oaths by them. But he will bring their iniquity to remembrance that they may be taken. And all signs pointed to Jerusalem. Destruction was to come upon them. In verse 24, Therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have made your iniquity to be remembered, and that your transgressions are uncovered, so that in all your doings your sins appear, because you have come to remembrance, you shall be taken in hand. Now to you, O profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. Interesting here, because historically what we're reading about is speaking of Zedekiah, the king of Judah here, who made an oath that he would uh, submit himself to Nebuchadnezzar, but he broke that oath. And that's what's being spoken of here um, in verse 23. You have sworn oaths to them, but he'll bring their iniquity to remembrance. But then as uh, we continue here, that in verse uh, 25, what is interesting is that it speaks about, uh, in verse 25, O profane, wicked prince of Israel. It is historically speaking of Zedekiah, but some say that prophetically speaking of the Antichrist. The Antichrist that will come in and uh, in the last days, and he will be a world leader, but also... He is going to make a covenant with Israel for seven days. So some say this could be speaking prophetically of the Antichrist. Uh, interesting to consider that. But in verse 26, remove the turban, take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble, humble the exalted. Overthrown, overthrown uh, means ruined. I will make it overthrown. Uh, Jerusalem's going to be ruined. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it to him. And, of course, we know that the Antichrist reign will come to an end. And when Jesus comes back and he rules and reigns from Jerusalem, but then we see this uh, prophecy, a sword against the Ammonites that were on the east side of the Jordan River. And you, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God concerning the Ammon Ammonites and concerning their reproach and say a sword, a sword is drawn, polished for slaughter. Some of the same poetic language that is used uh, for consuming, for flashing. While they see false visions for you, while they drive divine a lie to you to bring you on the necks of the wicked, the slain, whose day has come, whose iniquity shall end. So they, you know, were also speaking uh, according to their false gods uh, and, and also, uh, you know, speaking lies as well. Return to a sheath, verse 30. I will judge you in the place where you were created in the land of your nativity. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow against you in the fire of my wrath and deliver you into the hands of brutal men who are skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall not be remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. So the, the Ammonites would go through the judgment at the hands of the Babylonians as well. And as we move now into chapter 20, 22, we see that he begins to really indict 
um, the leaders of Jerusalem. He indicts the false prophets, uh, the false uh, leaders, um, uh, priests, the false prophets, false priests, false civil leaders, and then also how it affected the people to cause them to be corrupted. So very important words that we're going to be looking at in consideration. That Chapter 22 of Ezekiel, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. And then say, Thus says the Lord God, The city sheds blood in her own midst, that her time may come, and she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You may become guilty by the blood which you have shed, and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near, and have come to the end of your years. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all the countries. Verse 5. Those near and those far from you will mock as in infamous and full of tumult. So Ezekiel acting as kind of a judge or prosecuting attorney, uh, declaring the facts and the things that the southern kingdom did that brought judgment upon them. And not only were they full of idol worship and immorality in the land, but there was the shedding of innocent blood. So we're going to see here that he's going to get very specific what was the characteristic of what was going on in the nation. And it's not good. And, and as we look at it, we're going to see some of those same things that we see going on in our own nation. So there was the shedding of innocent blood. There was injustice. Their leaders were corrupt. They were violent. Uh, and we know the prophets were killed by the leaders. Jeremiah was persecuted. We know that Isaiah, the prophet, was, was put to death. There, the other prophets that come on the scene, as you look through their history, uh, were put to death. They, they were uh, persecuted, thrown in prison. Uh, and he's speaking about that. In verse 6, look, the princes of Israel, that's the civil leaders, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. If you, they have made light of father and mother, in your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. One of the things that we see that God has a special heart for is those who are uh, widows uh, and those who are orphans. And here you have oppressed the stranger and also the stranger God has a heart for. You've oppressed them and mistreated the fatherless, you know, the widows, the, um, uh, the orphans. And then in verse 8, you have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. So we see these things, those who were in need, those who really needed help, uh, they uh, were very corrupt, and we're going to see that it filters down to the people that were in Jerusalem. And um, they didn't respect their parents is what we see here. And uh, they made light of father and mother in verse 7. I think we see that trend even today in our own culture. You look at Hollywood and a lot of the shows and mom and dad are dumb and they don't understand. They're stupid and, and you know, rebelling against mom and dad. And we see more of a movement of that. And that really bothers me when I see that. Uh, it's okay to lie to mom and dad, deceive them. Don't tell me what to do, mom and dad. You need to let your kids just do what they want to do. And, and there is a kind of this underlying attitude in our culture about you mom and dad need to let your kids live the way they want and experience things and make their own decisions and um, you know you can't uh, 
you know, discipline them the way the Bible says that we are to, uh, to honor them. There's just this disrespect for, for parents, um, and we see that has filtered down in our country, in our, our uh, culture so much. Um, and we continue in verse 9, that in you are men who slander to cause bloodshed, and those who eat on the mountains in your midst, they commit lewdness. So he continues indicting them, slander, to, to the point of people would be uh, put to death. Innocent blood would be shed. But even today in our own culture, slander, what you see on social media and in the news, there's so much of it. And you can look at the news. I don't need to tell you this. And it's all tabloid news. He said this and they said this and this accusation and these things. And we're a culture that's so caught up in those things that, you know, we may not shed innocent blood to put somebody to death literally, but there's character assassination that goes on all the time through social media. I don't like them and putting people down and gossip and slander. And as a Christian, we should not be involved in those things because it's sin. The lying, the, the tearing people down, the corrupt speech that is used. And so they were doing that. And then they were in the groves in the mountains where they were committing lewdness or every sort of immorality that was taking place. And the immorality that we see in our culture growing and getting worse and more bizarre and accepted today. That truly it is true what Isaiah said that we're calling good evil and evil good. So these things that we see going on in our own country and in our own culture as we get further away from the Lord. And in verse 10, in you men uncovered their father's nakedness. In you they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife and another uh, and lewdly defies his daughter-in-law. And another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. In you, they take usury, that is, you know, ripping people off and increase, that you may profit from your neighbors by extortion. And have forgotten me, says the Lord God. So more sins that characterize their lives, covetousness, dishonesty, murder, extortion, great immorality. They had forgotten the Lord, it says here, and that was the root of the problem. And thing is, whenever that we forget about the Lord, that we're going to move towards more immorality and more perversity. You know, remember Jesus said that we saw on Sunday morning when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration that he's speaking to the disciples, to the multitude. He said, faithless and perverse generation. And it is always in that order, faithless. And when we become faithless, it leads to perversity. And the book of Judges, that's what happened. They forgot about the Lord, it says. It was Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, it says, you know, put away your idols. They are already beginning to, to worship idols. Put them away and choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then you, when you turn the page and go over to the book of Judges, by chapter 2, it says that they had forgotten the Lord, the generation after Joshua, and forgotten the works of the Lord. And, and when that happens, you're going to do what is right in your own eyes. And it went, that's the theme of the book of Judges, and it went from bad to worse. And that's what we're seeing today. 
In the book of Deuteronomy, you read over and over again, when you go into the promised land, that the Lord said, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Take heed. And here they forgot about him. There during the 400 years of judges and then during this time as well. And the, the, the repercussions, uh, the, the moving away to faithless, to more perversity and sin. It, it's so sad in the repercussions of it. And we read in uh, verse um, uh, 13, Behold, therefore, I beat my fist at the dishonest prophet which you have made, at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure? Can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the nations to burst you throughout the countries and remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Here's the thing. God was going to deal with their filthiness. The Lord was on the move. And, and here, all these things that were serious things, abominations, you know, and immorality, um, adultery, lewdness, um, Innocent blood being shed, ripping people off, all these things, uh, the slander that was going on, um, extortion, they have forgotten me, the idol worship, profane my Sabbath, all these things. He says that I'm going to put you into captivity, disperse you to, to remove your filthiness from you. They needed to go off into captivity. We can read this and say, why would Lord do that? Because they... they were so far gone. They were sacrificing their own children on the arms of Moloch that he, he says, I want to remove the filthiness from you. So you're going to go off in captivity. Uh, that is so that you will see that I am the Lord, that those gods that you went after are false, that, that you had forgotten about me. And he did it to, so they would have a future and a hope. And as we read this in verse 17, as he says, I'll scatter you throughout the nations. But the word of the Lord came to me, verse 17, Son of man, the house of Israel has become a dross to me. And they are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. And they have become dross for silver. And therefore, verse 19, thus says the Lord God, because uh, you have all become uh, dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you in the midst of Jerusalem as men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin in the midst of the furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you in a fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall you be melted in the midst, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. So God was likening Judah to dross. Now, he wanted them to be precious metal. But we know that the goldsmith, the silversmith, when melting gold, silver, they would melt it to where the impurities would come up and then they would scrape off the dross, the impurities, to where that gold and silver was pure. And the goldsmith, the silversmith, was able to look into that, that melted silver gold and see his reflection. And know that that the the dross, the impurities, have been uh, scraped off. And here, God is likening Judah to the dross, the impurities, and they will go through the furnace of God's judgment. And God will deal with the impurities. And and we read this. Um, they thought they were safe in Jerusalem, 
and believe in the false gods and prophets, you become the dross, you become the impurity when the Lord wanted them to become the precious metals. And as we read this, it's, you know, verse 21, he didn't want to melt them. He didn't want to burn them. He wanted to save them. He wanted to save them. It's like Daniel chapter 3, about this same time here, or a little bit after this time, that when Nebuchadnezzar made that image and said, everyone's going to bow down to this image, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 that said, we're not going to bow down, and they were thrown in a burning, fiery furnace, and the Lord saved them. He preserved them. That's what he wanted to do to his nation, to, to, to those who were dedicated to him. We're not going to bow down to this idol. That's why we're here in this captivity, those three young Hebrew men said. And, and as we read this, he, he's talking about indicting um, the leaders here as, as we continue on. They're, you're like, like dross. You're the impurities. And, and for you and for me, the Lord desires for us to be like precious metal. And when we go through the fire, God will, will in that time, if we allow him to do that work in us, to scrape off the impurities in our lives. And when we go through trials and, and through the fiery difficulties and, and we feel like, Lord, I really feel like I'm in the fire, allow him to work to where he, he pulls out the impurities and he will do that work in us. And, and here we see that he begins to indict the leaders, verse 23, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst are like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. Interesting. Her priests have violated my law. So first he talks about the prophets, verse 25. Now the priests, verse 26, have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy. Have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath, and I, I am profane among them. And then verse 27, first it's the prophets, verse 25, the priests, verse 26, and now the civil leaders in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. And her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, says the Lord God. Uh, when the Lord has not spoken. So this indictment again against the prophets, the priests, the civil leaders, the princess, and uh, again in verse 28, the prophets, and then when we go into verse 29, the people as well. He's talking about the wicked leaders that were on the scene, and he uses like a roaring lion tearing the prey and have devoured the people. And then in verse 27, the, the princess, like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people. It, that kind of caught my attention. Verse 26, that you can't distinguish between what is holy and unholy, what is clean, what is unclean couple things here that first of all the the religious leaders um, the the priest uh, they were to distinguish between what is clean and what is unclean it reminds me of Leviticus chapter 10 that you remember that when they dedicated the tabernacle out there in the wilderness that it was two of Aaron's sons Aaron was the high priest the direct descendants of Aaron his sons would follow in the priesthood and 
two of his sons lit profane fire and they ran into the Holy of Holies and God consumed them with fire. And after that scene, we see that the Lord would speak to Aaron and say, listen, Aaron, you and your remaining two sons that are alive, make sure that when you go into the tabernacle that you're not drunk with wine, that you can distinguish what is clean and unclean, that you may distinguish what is holy and unholy. So this language kind of reminds me of that. And as you go to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, which is the dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to have wisdom. And he says, walk in wisdom. He's talking about walking in the light, walking in love in chapter 5 of Ephesians, and then walking in wisdom. And redeem the time for the days are evil, Paul would write. So we don't want to be filled with wine. Anything that's going to affect our minds, that we can't distinguish what is right and wrong and holy and unholy. But it's not just with wine. That's the direct application in Ephesians chapter 5. That was the direct application to the... Aaron and his sons in Leviticus chapter 10, the indication was that Nabat and Abihu that were consumed with fire were drinking wine. They were drunk. But there's a secondary application. Don't allow anything to influence your mind to where you can't distinguish what is right and wrong, what is true, what is false, what is holy, what is unholy, what is clean, what is unclean. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Word of God. To walk in wisdom, carefully, to walk circumspectly, Paul writes, carefully, for the days are evil. That we need to be discerning in the days in which we're in. So first of all, it reminds me of that. But also, as I see that in the midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey, Peter comes along in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 5 and says that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we need to be careful because Satan, I believe, is working overtime. He is working overtime in our nation. He's working overtime with our young people especially. He is working overtime because he knows that his time is short. And, and he has great influence. And he is tearing people's lives apart. And we need to be careful. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking he may devour. So don't go into his territory because he desires to rip us apart. If we go into his territory, if we are ones that we get involved in the world, if we get involved in carnality, that's what he wants to do. But also, as he talks about these leaders here, that he says they're like wolves tearing the prey apart. Uh, He uses that um, as uh, he speaks about the civil leaders, but to destroy the people, to get dishonest gain there in verse 27. Um, So again, like wolves tearing the prey. I can't help but think about uh, it was um, Paul when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders as he's talking to them. And he said to them that I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up, speak in perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years they did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was warning those Ephesian elders that time's going to come because they're savage wolves that are among you that are not going to spare the flock. They're going to speak perverse things. Jesus, when he's talking about the signs of the end times in the Olivet Discourse, 
the very first warning that he gives is that in the last days there are going to be many false prophets and teachers that are going to be on the scene deceiving. Uh, false Christ that will be on the scene. We also know that in Matthew chapter 7, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, that he said, Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravages wolves. So he's speaking about the false prophets, false teachers that come on the scene. You don't know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so he goes on and he says, You can tell every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So these warnings are given to us here, not only in Ezekiel as we read this, what was happening, but it is for us to take warning of what we see in the New Testament, that there are false prophets that are out there. There are false teachers that are out there that will lead us astray. There is the enemy, uh, Satan, who is like a roaring lion. And we are to be ones that we continue in the word of God and to discern what is holy and what is unholy, what is true, what is not true, what is false. And the prophets here were on the scene and they were speaking lies and they were telling people what they wanted to hear rather than what they needed to hear. You see, we have even seen a trend in the church today of we're in perilous times. We're seeing the culture around us that is falling apart. And we see a church that more and more, unfortunately, that there are those behind the pulpit that are speaking to the people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And they're softening the word of God because we want to draw in the crowds. And I've known that there are pastors, they won't speak on certain issues. They won't speak on the issues of immorality, homosexuality. They won't speak on the issue of abortion. I don't want to offend anyone. We just want to keep it soft. We want people to feel good. They want to draw in the crowds. They, they, they want to be popular in all these things. So we need to be ones that as we go through the word of God, that we are speaking the things that God wants us to know and to take heed of and the warnings and, and that we may be wise. And in verse 29, the result was, as we go back to Ezekiel here, that uh, the result was is um, in chapter 22, let me get to it, in verse 29, that the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongly oppressed the stranger. So it filtered down from the leaders, the prophets, the priests, the princes, down to the people where they were committing all kinds of sin. And, and that's why leadership is so important. Mom and dad's in your home. You are the leaders of your home. And if we are ones or any parent that says you know, to their child, well, don't use that language, and then you're using you know, profanity, or they hear you tearing people down and slandering, don't drink, and, and yet you're drinking, they're going to learn from you. And that's just uh, what they observe. That's what they're getting. So you know, we can't say, don't do this, but it's okay for me to do it. We want to be examples, and that's a good leader, not only in the home, but even in the church. That one of the things that, that we talk about in leadership here is we're here to serve the people. 
And we're here to be an example to the people. We don't do it in a perfect way. None of us are perfect. But in a way that there is a desire to be godly and to serve and to be humble before the Lord and walk in the fear of the Lord. Because if I'm carnal, then the people are going to be carnal. If I'm prideful, then the people are going to end up becoming prideful. There's just a trickling down. And it's the same in the church as it is in the home and even in the nation. And if the leaders, that's why we need to pray for our leaders. There's corruption in all of this. It begins to trickle down to the people. So, you know, this is a very important word. And then, and then what do we do about all this? Well, uh, don't tune out. Don't, don't turn off your devices. This is really important. And in verse 30, so I sought a, for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. This, this verse really struck me once again as I read it. Because God was looking for a man to stand in the gap of the broken down wall. A wall was to be a place of protection, of security, of assurance. But their wall was broken down. Their wall was broken down. And he said, I sought for a man that would stand there in the gap and, and be able to build that wall back up, to stand in the gap uh, for the people. But I found no one. There was no one in the land. That's a sad, sad verse. And as we close here tonight, the question is, will we stand in the gap in the generation in which we're living in, in the days in which we're living in, as we see culture the crumbling around us and morality and, um, you know, people uh, just forsaking the Lord. You know, a nation that was a nation that was a Christian nation, and now we can't really say that anymore. We're seeing spiritually, morally, things crumbling around us, but will we stand in the gap? Will you stand in the gap for your family? Because Satan's out there like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. The, the leaders that, w- that we can see around us. And I'm very thankful for godly leaders. And, and we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for the church. But we see that there's more and more corruption. We see there's a further getting away from the Lord. There's a, uh, even from the gospel, even from in the church, the apostasy that we see more and more denominations that one time a generation ago stood on the word of God now have forsaken the word of God. We see that all around us, don't we? But are we going to stand in the gap? I'm not ready to just wave my white flag and to just give up and surrender but to fight the good fight of the Spirit and be praying, be praying for my kids, be praying for you, be praying for our nation. That's what God is looking for. Will we do that? Will we stand in the gap of the wall that's crumbling around us? Will we stand in the gap and pray for your kids, your grandkids? When we see the things broken around us, culture and decency and You know, that which is true. Will we stand in the gap? Things are broken down spiritually. Things are falling apart, it seems like, around us. I I really consider, even a couple months ago, um, I was talking a little bit to the staff about it yesterday, 
in our staff meeting, when, you know, I read Ezekiel and how things are broken down and what's going on, it reminds me so much of what we see going on in our own nation, how it's getting worse and worse and worse and more immorality and lewdness and, and just darkness that is, things are changing so fast. And a couple months ago, we had an inauguration you know, in Washington, D.C., and think about it, most inaugurations, whether you voted for that candidate or not who won the presidency, but it was a day of of really celebrating democracy and, and, and tens of thousands of people. It's a very, very special time. But this last time, when you think about it, all the, not just the, what happened before the inauguration in Washington, but you had 25,000 troops that were, you know, the whole city locked down, 25,000 military troops in Washington, no foreign powers threatening us. It's happening all within, no people there because of the pandemic. I see what's going on in our nation, how we're imploding internally. And that concerns me. I think things have changed so fast. And it's like the Lord is warning us But also, he is looking for the individual to stand in the gap, and that's you and me, to be praying for our nation, to be praying for our leaders, to be praying for the church, to be praying for our families. Because he is going to come back and he will set things straight. I can't wait till that happens. But in the meantime, there's perilous days. In the meantime, just as Paul said, in the latter times, there's going to be those who are given over to doctrines of demons. In the meantime, he said that in the last days, there will be more corruption and those who are going to be counterfeit. He said, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. We're seeing those very things happen. That those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That means you and me, but will we stand in the gap? Will we stand in the gap and pray for our families and pray for people that are linked to us in our lives, our community, pray for our nation, pray for this church? God is looking for that one. Here he said, I I found no one. Such a sad verse. Ezekiel was there. Daniel was there. Jeremiah. But you see, he's looking for you and for me because things are carmeling around us. And things are becoming just what we see, the darkness and the deception and all those things. You know it. You see it as well as I do. But but will we stand in the gap and stand for righteousness and what is true, distinguish what is holy, what is unholy, what is true, what is not true, what is clean, what is not clean? Because being filled with the Spirit, listen, it's a war out there. It is a war out there. And I want to encourage you, and it's, it's a word for me, let's, let's build each other up because the battle's going to increase and I'm not ready to surrender. Let's fight the good fight of the Spirit through the Word of God, through prayer, by walking with Him, by loving others. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word given to us. And Lord, all these words of judgment and indictment, it it overwhelms us. But Lord, when we come to the end of it, it speaks to us as well. We see what's going on around us in our culture, in our nation. 
The descriptions that are given here we see are very descriptive of what we see today. But we are to be one standing in the gap. That's who you're looking for. So we stand here tonight. We pray for our nation that there be a spiritual awakening because we know that's the hope of our nation. For our leaders, we are thankful that there are some godly leaders in Washington and here in Colorado. I, I know them personally. And we pray for them that they would stand strong and their voices would be heard. But, Lord, we pray there would be a turning to you. And, Lord, for the church, that the church would get back to standing on the word of God and and telling people what you declared, not what they just want to hear, but what they need to hear. And, Father, I pray for us that we would be an example of godly lives, dedicated to you, not in a prideful kind of way, arrogant kind of way, but in humility, that even as Daniel was in Babylon, there was an excellent spirit that was within him that was noticed. And I pray they would see that excellent spirit, a humble spirit, a spirit that desires to to know you and walk with you, that people can see how blessed that we are, how free that we truly are, that we have wisdom that we walk in and we can be comforted and have joy unspeakable so lord use us and to be men and women of prayer we pray for our church that we would lord move forward it's been so difficult especially in this last year but lord you want to use us and you have a plan and your son's coming back but in the meantime we want to be used in such a time as this We want to keep our eyes on you and to be a voice of truth to others. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't surrender to culture, to the world, and just give in, but to fight the good fight of the Spirit. Bless everyone here, Lord. We look forward to gathering once again. We look forward to this this Easter season that we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, just stir our hearts Lord, guide us and direct us in everything. Help us to be strong and of good courage. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday as we start in Matthew chapter 18, talking about being great in the kingdom of God. It's a great lesson, so come join us. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.